Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Y'all have to let me do something right quick. If you don't think Satan works, um, right before I came up here, my iPad went down. And I know you don't want me to stand up here and ramble. So I need to fix this where I can use it for just a second, which is embarrassing, but (laughs) nonetheless... Let's see if I can remember how to keep it from turning off. <laughs> Y'all just talk to each other for a minute. I'll be good <laughs> here in just a second. <laughs> Isn't this awesome? This is just awesome. Home screen. Tell me how to. No, I need more than that. <laughs> you know what? I'll just do the best I can here. Hang on just a second. Lord will help me through this. I'm not worried about it. I'll just have to turn it on every now and then. Listen, this is the last words of Paul. You imagine at the very end, if you, were, if you knew this were the last things you were going to write down, who would you thank? Who would you talk to? Well, that's this list right here. And Sometimes you see a roll of honor or an honor roll printed in a paper when you have a, a people that make the honor roll or the president's list or the dean's list or whatever. Sometimes they print that. Well, I believe right here, you may read this and think, well, there's nothing here for me. There's nothing here that I can apply. I can promise you there's some, here, there's some things here that you can apply. I'm going to begin reading in verse 9 of chapter 4. Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I delivered out of the mouth of the lion. I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the house of O Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
Grace be with you. Amen. A little league baseball, in a little league baseball game, the batter swung with all his might. He had a line drive right to the pitcher. Pitcher was so surprised, he didn't have time to get his glove up. He tried to catch it with his bare hand, and obviously, he didn't catch it. And so he picked it up to throw it to the first baseman, and he overthrew the first baseman, and the batter just kept running. Well, the first baseman ran to get the ball and threw it to second base, and wouldn't you know, it wasn't a good throw when the second baseman fumbled it, and it rolled out into center field. Batter kept running. Well, the center fielder and the shortstop collided with each other trying to get the ball. By the time they got the ball, the center fielder picked it up to throw it home, and the batter crossed home plate safe. He was jumping up and down, hollering, and somebody asked him, how do you feel? And he said, I feel great. It's the first home run I ever hit. (laughs) Now, obviously, he had a lot of help with that home run. And Paul is writing to this group of people saying that he's had a lot of help in all the years of ministry that he's been a part of, and he makes sure to thank some of them, but he also is challenging some of them. And so I really look at this like a role of honor and dishonor. And so I want to share with you some of these names. Now, I want you to know that I have made up some of these names uh, to just help you know how they're described, how how I would describe them. The first I'll share with you, I would call a role of reliability and perseverance. These are the people that were the allies. These were the people that stayed with Paul. When I was looking at this list, I couldn't help but think of some of the kind of church members that we have today. Some church members are like wheelbarrows. No good unless they're pushed. Some are like canoes. They need to be paddled. Some are like kites. If a string isn't kept on them, they fly away. Some are like kittens, more contented when petted. Some are like balloons, full of wind and ready to blow up. Some are like footballs. You can't tell which way they're going to bounce next. Some are like trailers. They have to be pulled. Some are like neon lights. They're going on and off. But most of them are like the North Star. They are there when you need them. They are dependable and ever loyal. That's this list I'm about to read to you. Reliability, the ones that persevered. We begin with tried and true Timothy. Verse 9 says, be diligent to come to me quickly. But folks, let me tell you, Timothy, even though his name's not mentioned there, Paul's written this letter to him. And Timothy is in Ephesus. Paul says, come to Rome. I want you to come before winter. Don't take the Mediterranean route. You're going to go through Troas. You're going to go through some of the overland route. And he's still going to have to cross two water crossings to get to Rome, even if he comes from Ephesus. And that's why he says you need to come before winter. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. Timothy had been pastoring in Ephesus. Timothy was the one that was Paul's protege. He was tried and true. He had been faithful to Paul ever since he had come to know the Lord Jesus. I call him tried and true. And he goes without saying, even though his name is not mentioned in verse 9. But then I'm going to skip over Demas for just a minute. He's in another list. But you'll notice in verse 10, it says Crescens. 
Crescens headed for Galatia. You know, we don't really know anything about Crescens. We do know that evidently he was a fairly capable man because Paul sent him to Galatia. Now, Paul had visited Galatia three times on his first, second, and third missionary journey. And the fact that Crescens was sent by the apostle to the fickle, easily influenced Galatians speaks volumes to me because he was probably a very trustworthy servant who could help these people in their struggles and their problems. He represents what we call, what I would call, the faithful unknown. Churches all have them. You have them in your network. The faithful unknown. No one knows their names, but God knows what they do. God has knowledge of what they do and has a reward for that person. The faithful unknowns are gifted who are called, and they do their ministry unknown in a simple way to think about it. You don't know the names of the people who put this outline up here for you to copy or the answers to the outline. You, you don't know the names of the people who made that coffee this morning that you just can't live without. You don't know the names of all the people who are taking care of the children so that you can be in here uninterrupted. You don't know the names of the people who served in vacation Bible school this week who shared the gospel with hundreds of children. You see, there are a lot of faithful unknowns, and I thank God for them. They're the people that don't want to be in the limelight. They're the people that don't have to be known by everyone else. They are the faithful unknowns. Even in Hebrews chapter 12, the, what we call the, the heroes of the faith, you're going to hear, you, you read Hebrews 12, you'll see a lot of names that are uh, familiar and famous, I should say. But did you know also in Hebrews 12, in verse 35, it says, and others. And then verse 36, it says, and others others. There are a lot of unknown, faithful people. I believe Crescens was one of them. Then you go to the opposite of that, someone that's well-known, Titus. I call him trustworthy Titus. He's familiar. He appears 13 times in the New Testament and even has a letter written to him the, the, the book of Titus, the letter to Titus was written between 1st and 2nd Timothy. Titus traveled with Paul a great deal. In fact, Paul calls him my true child in common faith in Titus 1.4. He was the focus of attention at the Council of Jerusalem when there was a big debate because Titus was a Greek. He was a Gentile and he'd become a Christian and they were debating whether or not he had to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. Well, Titus had finished his assignment on Crete and now is off to Dalmatia, which is on the eastern shore of the Adriatic Sea, north of Macedonia. We know that Paul had preached in Dalmatia, according to Romans 15, 19. So the gospel was sort of dusted there. And Titus was going to go in and pull it all together and strengthen the church and build the leaders. He apparently was a good builder, equipper. And we thank God for those who come alongside us and build us up and equip us and teach us and pour, our, pour their lives into us. And be, he came behind Paul to pour into the men and women of the places where churches were started. Trustworthy, Titus. Another on this role of reliability would be 
loyal Luke. He was by Paul's side. He says, only Luke is with me. Now, William Barclay states that it was a Roman custom that if a citizen of Rome were taken to Rome for trial, he was permitted to take two slaves with him. And it could very well be, we don't know for sure, but in order to, for Luke to stay with him, Luke may have volunteered to be his slave. It's at least suggested here. But Luke is such a unique person because he's only spoken of two other times in the New Testament. He's mentioned as a fellow worker in Philemon, verse 24, and he's mentioned as the beloved physician in Colossians 4, 14. And although there's only three passages in the New Testament that name him, he wrote the longest gospel. Now, I know it only has 24 chapters, and Matthew has 28 chapters, but if you add up the length of the letters, Luke wrote more than Matthew did. And he also wrote 28 chapters of Acts. So Luke, by himself, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is responsible for 52 chapters in the New Testament. He chronicled the life of Christ under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Luke. And then he chronicled the life of the early church under the Spirit's inspiration in the book of Acts. And he was humble. He was content to come alongside a great apostle. He was a constant companion to Paul, faithfully at his side. He was on Paul's second missionary journey to Troas and to Philippi, and he joined Paul at the end of the missionary journey number three and went with him to Jerusalem. He was on one of the ships that was shipwrecked. In Acts chapter 27, he was with Paul both of his imprisonments in Caesarea and in Rome. His heart was to become was to come alongside of Paul and serve his personal needs. And if anyone needed a personal physician, it was Paul. I mean, he was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was whipped, shipwrecked. He had a thorn in the flesh, which probably was some kind of physical ailment that he suffered. He needed a first-class personal friend. And the fact that he was a physician made it even better. He was a friend that acted not only as a secretary to Paul. Paul may have actually written down this letter to 2 Timothy. Aren't you glad that you have friends like that? If you have a loyal Luke in your life, you are blessed because they are as rare as you'll find. Trusty Tychicus. Don't you like my names here? <laughs> chapter, chapter 4, verse 12. Tychicus probably delivered this letter to Timothy in Ephesus and probably took Timothy's place in Ephesus as the pastor of that church there. Because when he says, I sent in verse 12, I sent, I have sent to Ephesus. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus, literally translates, I'm sending him to the, you there. 
And so he not only took that letter to Timothy, but he took the letter to the Colossians to them, and he took the letter to the Ephesians to them. Acts 20 verse 4 tells us that he was an Asian. He was from Asia Minor who accompanied Paul to Jerusalem with the offering for the poor saints that Paul took there. And he must have been a man of great responsibility. He, it doesn't record that he was a teacher or a preacher of the truth, but he was a messenger of the truth. He took the message to the people. I'm thankful for the people that do that here. You don't know the names of the people that put the stuff on television, that edit, edit all of these services for television or make the live stream available or send out information. You know, we, people take the message and send it out. I thank God for the people around us who do that kind of thing. And then there's a, a name mentioned in verse 13, Carpus. I call him Caring Carpus because we don't know anything about him other than he obviously lived in Troas. Because he said, Timothy, when you come through Troas, I want you to stop at the house of Carpus and get my cloak, the books, and especially the parchments. Well, it's very possible, a real possibility that Paul was arrested, rearrested, I guess you'd say, because he'd been arrested several times. He was probably rearrested in Troas. And when they took him, they immediately arrested him and took him to Rome. He didn't even get to go back to the house of Carpus and get his cloak or the books and the parchments. And it's also maybe why in chapter 1, verse 4, that Paul said, I remember you crying, Timothy. I remember your tears when we parted. It could be that Paul was arrested there and didn't get a chance to get his stuff. The cloak would be what we call a poncho today, just a, a big wrap with a hole in the center to go over your head. The books probably referred to some of the writings of Paul and possibly Matthew and Mark were being circulated by that time. But the parchments, they were the writings of the Old Testament, the scrolls, the, the copies of the scripture of the Old Testament. And Paul wanted those copies, not because he was bored, but I believe he wanted them to encourage his spirit and cause it to rejoice in the word of God. In other words, if you think about it, Paul needed his cloak to keep his body warm, but he needed the scriptures to warm his soul. These men were great allies. These were the people that would be on the roll of honor. But then there's also Paul recollecting those that were not there, I call it a recollection or a recall of resistance and provocation. I want to tell you something. When you do something for the Lord, you're going to have people that don't like it. I love what a six-year-old wrote her pastor. She said, dear preacher, I heard you say to love your enemies. I'm only six and do not have any yet. I hope to have some when I'm seven. I guarantee you, if you follow the Lord, you're going to have some. You're going to have resistance. You can almost 
hear the heartbreak and the disappointment that Paul has in verse 10 for deserting Demas. When he had written to Philemon, verse 24, a few years before, Paul included Demas among his fellow workers. He'd been a part of Paul's team in Colossians 4.14, but now Demas had deserted him. In verse 8, he said, to all those who love is appearing, but here Demas has loved this present age, ion, the world. Rather than loving the Lord's appearing, Demas returned, lured away from the apostle's side. Maybe going back to Thessalonica, he may have been lured by the bright lights or the, the pleasures and the prosperity of the city. He could have gotten tired of being in poverty and persecution and hardship. You hang around with Paul, I promise you, it was tough. You can almost hear the hurt in his heart Maybe you've been there. Maybe you have seen someone that you love, someone who had been walking in fellowship with God, grow cool and dull, go back to the emptiness of the world and its pleasures. Not only that, but did you know Demas left a void because the way that Paul writes this, Demas must have been a strategic person, at least on the outside of the ministry. Because when, he's, when he writes the words, has deserted me or has forsaken me, it is doubly intense, written in such a way that Paul basically said, he's left at the worst possible time and left me in a bind or a lurch. Having loved this present world, the world system, the aims, the ideals, the opinions, the values, the motives, the morals, the impulses of the present passing age, Demas got caught up in the world. I know people like that, don't you? Breaks your heart, doesn't it? Brings all kinds of mixed emotions. Sometimes you get irritated, then you... Your heart's broken. But there are people, this world is full of people like this. On the outside, they say, I follow Jesus. But they love the world instead of the Lord. And then he mentions Alexander. Antagonistic Alexander. Alexander was such a popular name. We're not sure if this is the same Alexander that Alexander that's mentioned in 1 Timothy. The word Alexander, the metal worker or the coppersmith, had done him much harm. He could very well be the same Alexander that's mentioned in 1 Timothy 1.20. And if it is, he's linked with Hymenaeus. And Paul himself said, I've delivered them to Satan that they may not learn to blaspheme. And it's likely that he professed to be a believer, but he had turned against Paul. It's interesting. The phrase, did me harm, is the Greek word for informer. It could very well have been that Alexander is the one who turned him in or who, who told the Romans 
that he was preaching again. And I have a new King James translation of the scripture and the King James says in verse 14, may the Lord repay him according to his works. But actually the best manuscripts say the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. So Paul is stating a fact, not a curse on him. He's going to leave it to God. I'm going to tell you something. I know the scripture says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But don't you want to help him sometime? (laughs) Really? But Paul said, you know what? God's going to repay him for his deeds. There's a group in here you probably would skip over. I call them the nameless no-shows. Look at verse 16. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. First events, the word is apologia. We get our word apologetics. apologetics. It means a speech in defense of something. It's a courtroom term. And when Paul was taken prisoner, no doubt, no doubt he was taken to Rome and he immediately went to the first of two hearings. The first hearing we would call an arraignment. When you're taken before the tribunal, or in those days it was a tribunal, and he said, and when I was taken there, no one stood beside me. Now, it was a dangerous time in Rome, and Nero was insane. And if anybody even appeared to be against him, Nero's assassins were all over the city ready to take the man's life, and evidently no Christian was ready to risk or to stand up for Paul So he stood all alone. But you'll notice that Paul wasn't vindictive. He said, may it not be charged against them. And he prays for those. I call them the unfaithful anonymous. (laughs) You don't know them because they never show up. You you don't know their names because they never came. You couldn't identify what ministry they'd like to do because they never volunteer. The no-shows, the unfaithful anonymous, they're motivated by comfort or maybe cowardice or apathy or indifference. We don't know, but the no-shows show up, don't they? You understand what I'm saying? Well, I know a lot of them. Now, there's a bright spot here on this list because in chapter 4, verse 11... Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. Here is a reference of restoration and possibility. You see, in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, the church in Jerusalem met in Mark's home. He was one of the young, bright lights in the new movement of Christians in the Jerusalem church. And he actually uh, went with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey for a little bit. In Acts 13, they started off on a difficult path and Mark couldn't take it and went back home. Barnabas and Mark are cousins, by the way. Well, approximately seven years later, Paul and Barnabas were about to set on another missionary journey, and Barnabas said, hey, let's take Mark with us, and Paul said, no, absolutely not. Paul, you know, he didn't have a 
a lot of patience with uh, weak, cowardly, uncommitted men. And if you couldn't stand it, he didn't really want you around anyway. And in Acts 15, 36, you find them discussing whether or not to take Mark. And the, and the discussion becomes an unresolved argument. And they split and Barnabas took Mark. And Paul took Silas. About a dozen years later, <clears throat> we find Paul in Rome, prison, and look who he wants to have, Mark. Now, a lot of years have passed, and apparently Mark has proven himself. In fact, did you know that while he was in his first imprisonment, Paul wrote Colossians, and in Colossians 4.10, he refers to Mark. In Philemon, verse 24, he refers to Mark again. And after all those years, Mark was back in good graces of Paul. And by the way, while I'm talking about Mark, did you know according, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, Mark spent some time with Peter, and he wrote his gospel, the gospel of Mark, and many people believe it really is the testimony of Peter more than any others. And after Peter's death, Mark was back with Paul and served him well and probably even assisted Timothy so that he was well known to Timothy also. And after 20 years, Mark is faithful and Paul says, pick up Mark and bring him for he is useful to me for diakonia, service. The word deacon and service are synonymous. Literally very useful. I'll tell you one of the great joys in Christian ministry is to see an unfaithful person restored. Sometimes it takes a long, long time. But folks, I want to also reminds you that probably all of us in here at some point have had some symptoms that Mark portrayed and hasn't God been gracious to not write us off. <laughs> we still make mistakes, but God doesn't write us off. The Lord does build up the weak again and make them strong. But verse 17, we come to the apex, the peak of the whole passage. It's a reminder of redemption and protection. Verse 17, those three words, but the Lord. <laughs> Aren't you glad that God intervenes? But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Nobody else was there. Everybody deserted me. But the Lord, who sticks closer than a brother, the friend who said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Paul said he stood before the tribunal. He had no advocate. But the Lord stood with me, and that literally says, and infused strength in me. He delivered me from the lion's mouth. Now, what does that mean? Some people think that Paul was afraid he was going to be thrown to the lions in the Roman Colosseum, but the problem with that is the Roman Colosseum hadn't been built yet. <laughs> so that couldn't be the case. But I believe it's the same reference to 
Satan, as Peter used, that your enemy, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I believe that Paul was saying the schemer behind all of these false charges were laid against Paul. All of this was part of the schemes to accomplish Paul's death or at least destroy his testimony. And it's still true today. Much, much of the problems that we have are a result of Satan's kingdoms, the, the powers of hell, the activity of the lion to destroy and weaken our testimony. I'm telling you, spiritual war is real. I have the Wi-Fi turned off of that iPad. Okay, now get this. And it decides to do an update right there. I don't know how it's doing that. But I don't think it's coincidence. Fortunately, I sent one of my friends to get my iPhone. Paul said, the Lord's, the Lord's with me. The Lord's going to rescue me. Verse 18, he knows that the next time, his second part of the trial, he knows probably I stand before Nero. I'm going to be taken from there and executed. But he said, but the Lord will rescue me from every evil and save me for his heavenly kingdom. He starts thinking about the fact that he's going to get delivered from that stinky prison he's in to the heavenly palace where the Lord is. It gets him so excited, he begins to praise the Lord. To him be glory forever and ever, amen. Now think about it. He's in a stinking, rotten, wretched, smelly, filthy, gross dungeon, probably with 20 or 30 men. It's a hole in the ground. The stench would be inconceivable. No sanitation, no nothing. City sewage system running by, only a door separating it, which would leak the sewage of the city in there. A filthy, vile, wretched place, cold, dark, damp, and here he is praising God. Boy, I got convicted today. Please forgive me, Lord, for any complaining I've done. Some of y'all probably complained when you got here. Somebody got my seat. <laughs> Somebody's in my parking place. I had to walk an extra two lanes to get here. Man, I got convicted. And Paul said, so be it, amen, I'm ready to go home. And the last few verses really are, a, I call it regards to the reliable and proven people in his life, the old friends. In fact, you think about these reliable people, Priscilla, Aquila, Onesiphorus, Trophimus. I broke it down into two groups, old friends. We've seen their names, Priscilla and Aquila. They were the tent makers that Paul met in Corinth. And they moved with Paul to Ephesus. They later went with him to Rome. They, uh, every time you read about them, they're having church in their house. Isn't that cool? No matter what town they lived in, church was meeting in their home. 
Now they're back in Ephesus, evidently, and undoubtedly carrying on a church in their home, and that's why Paul says, greet my old pals, Priscilla and Aquila. Onesiphorus was one of the ministers of encouragement, what we call him. He, he visited Paul in prison and was an encouragement, and evidently he's still away from his family because he says, greet the household of Onesiphorus, unless Onesiphorus is there. Erastus, we learn from the letter to the Romans that he was the city treasurer of Corinth, so it makes sense that he had remained there. But here's something I want you to pick up on and listen carefully. Trophimus. He was a Gentile from Ephesus. He was with Paul in Jerusalem when the enemies falsely accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple, which led to Paul's arrest. But did you notice he said, I left Trophimus in Miletus sick. Hmm. Paul had the gift of healing. The gift of healing was one of the sign gifts that was given to authenticate God's message. Why didn't Paul heal him? You ever thought about it? You probably hadn't. Well, I believe it could be that some of the sign gifts were beginning to tail off a little bit. Now, listen to me carefully. I still believe God heals. I do. And I pray for people to be healed. I don't believe in faith healers. I don't. Because faith healers never can be wrong. If you don't get healed, it was your fault. You didn't have enough faith. That's what they say. But it also tells me that even people with the gift of healing could not heal anybody they wanted to. Timothy. Timothy had a lot of sickness. He was a man of many infirmities. Paul said, take a little wine for your stomach's ailments. Why wouldn't Paul heal Timothy? What I want you to see is that you be careful with these people who say, well, God doesn't ever want you to be sick. Well, I'm sure God doesn't want us to be, but we live in a cursed world and we're going to get sick. In fact, there's only one way out of this world. And you have to die to get out unless the Lord returns. And most people get sick before they die. There's some new friends, and I'm quickly, I'm almost done. He he says, verse 21, Eubulus greets you. We don't know who that is. We don't have a clue, except that he was a Roman Christian. But then Putin's Linus, Claudia. Putin's and Linus and Claudia are Roman Christians. They have Latin names. Linus could very well have been the successor to Paul in Rome church. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, mentions Linus as the bishop of Rome. Now, not a bishop in the sense of a Catholic church. I'm talking about a leader pastor of Rome. He very likely was the same man since his name appears between that of Pudens and Claudia. Some people think that he's the son of Pudens and Claudia, Pudens being male name and Claudia being a female name. And maybe they are the parents whose son turned out to be the first leader or a Bishop of Rome, but it's also interesting that the historian, the Roman historian, Tacitus, 
in his writings refers to a noble Roman named Pudens who had married a princess, the daughter of a British king, Tiberius, Claudius, Cajadubnus, I think that's how you say his name, in the city of Chichester in England, a plaque was dug up some time ago that had this king's name inscribed on it, and the name of his son-in-law was Pudens. Now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> Those are Latin names referring to Roman Christians. Paul says in verse 22, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The Holy Spirit is with our spirit. The Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and grace be with you. You see, the union of our spirit with the Lord's spirit makes us new persons in Christ. And the daily supply that we need to encourage, strengthen, feed that union is grace. Grace, we need it every day. Especially in a world that is headed away from God, we need God's grace every day. You see yourself in this role? If you don't know Jesus, what I hope you see is that it's not too late to come to him. No matter what you've done, no matter the problems you've created, no matter the sin you've committed, you find grace and forgiveness when you come to the Lord. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, today's your day. You commit your life to him, asking God to forgive you, believing Jesus died and rose again, and trusting your life to him by faith. You've never seen Jesus. You didn't see him resurrected. You didn't see him crucified, but you believe he's real. You believe he's who he is, and you trust him. That's faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you, maybe you think, well, you know what? I've messed up. I'm kind of like Demas. I've, I sort of went the way of the world for a while. Good news is you can come back. The Lord has not written you off. Would you bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.